Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney. I'm your host, Acacia Courtney. Happy to have you with us as it's been really fun covering a variety of different topics on this show. This week I'll speak to a trainer who had a very big weekend and I'll also speak to somebody who's a little bit more involved on the breeding side and in particular state-bred breeding programs, which is something that I really wanted to cover on this show and um, especially being back working at the New York Racing Association, the New York bread program and the incentives that they have. We just recently saw the uh, New York bread divisional awards go out. So looking forward to covering all of that and some superstar New York breads who've been successful on the biggest stages of all. So all of that and more coming up on this week's episode. We are on the cusp of the final week of an opportunity to get Kentucky Derby points. So I think after this, uh, the April OBS two-year-old in training sale is coming up. And then, of course, we're just full steam ahead to the Kentucky Derby, back where it belongs in the first Saturday in May. So we'll be talking a lot about pedigree and some horses leading up to that Kentucky Derby day and and, uh, Kentucky Oaks Day as well. Um, We not be at the Kentucky Derby this year, as is usually the case, but I am looking forward to working the Preakness once again. Um, But all of that still to come down the road for now. Fun show coming up ahead with a couple of great guests. So let's get right to it. I'm pleased to welcome in my first guest, Safi Joseph Jr., a trainer who had a big weekend this past week in New York with a couple of graded stakes wins, including the grade one Carter. Safi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Keisha. Thanks for having me on. Now, big weekend for you, as I mentioned, uh, Drain the Clock in the Bayshore and uh, Mischievous Alex in the Carter. Let's talk about Mischievous Alex first, because you took over the training for this horse, who was already a great stakes winner, having won the Gotham last year. And tell me a little bit about what it's been like training him as he's now three for three uh, and, and a grade one since moving to your barn. I mean, when Chuck first mentioned that he was, he was thinking of sending him to us, I was like in awe. He said he was going to give him a break and then send him to us. And for those three, four months, every day, I hoped to get the call that he was sending them. And then finally, he's, yeah, he arrived. And, uh, and then to have a horse come into your barn and that quality already proven, it's very um, fulfilling because you know he's already had talent. And you hope that he could keep going on and run as good as he ran before for the previous trainer. Yeah, and I, I imagine that's such a big part of it, too. Like you said, a horse that's already proven. I mean, I know the hustle is still there, but being a trainer, one of the biggest challenges is getting that bloodstock into your barn. So that had to be really flattering, and, and I think just a testament to already how far you've come as a trainer, right? Oh, most definitely. I mean, like, obviously, we, we, we claim a lot of horses, and when you're claiming, you kind of know what, what they've done already, so you're working on that line. And, He's not a climber, but it's the same kind of thing. You get on a horse that's already proven, so you, you have a line to work on. Unlike a younger horse, sometimes you get a two-year-old and you have high expectations or they have pedigree, and you don't have a line because it never run. So with, with horses that are already proven, you, you know where you're working. You know if the horse is improving in your, in your care or you know if the horse is disimproving. And to kind of jump off of that, and we'll get to your other graded stakes for in a moment, but you do claim a lot of horses and you have had a tremendous amount of success with claiming horses. What are some of the things physically or on form that you look for? Because we talk a lot on this podcast about buying horses at the sales, but it's a similar kind of prospect. You are basically purchasing those horses and and trying to improve them in your barn. Yeah, I think we kind of claim different to other people. Like Mm -hmm. when I claim a horse or... I'm always just trying to claim a horse to hope that he can run as good, that he could win, that 
I always look at a negative and a positive. If Oris is, say, running for 12-5 and I'm claiming him and I know I could drop him to 62-50 and win and get the purse, then I consider that a pretty good claim because there's that's the negative situation. If, if Like, you know, you could, you could win a race with him. Now, as mm-hmm. far as the positive, you always look for the positive, the unknown tries, if he hasn't tried the turf, if he hasn't run long, if he hasn't run short. So you always look for the negative and positive. But I'm, I'm always looking at mainly of... of ways we can run horses that they can win races i'm not, I'm not trying to i'm never claiming a horse thinking that i'm going to try to improve him mm-hmm. i think a lot of people overthink it they claim they want to improve every horse and the reality of it is very sure going to improve and, and it's a numbers game if you claim 15 or, t- or 20 horses i would say one or two may improve and the rest are going to stay uh what what they've done because most trainers are pretty good and they um the horses they, they can't improve that much now, one horse that you did have from the start of his career is Drain the Clock, who uh, debuted at Gulfstream in September, and he was very impressive right away. Unfortunately, at Delta Downs, uh, it didn't get to run his race. But, I mean, just talk about what it's been like training that horse from his debut as a two-year-old uh, to now. I mean, he, he's, he really grew up since he came into our barn. As When he first came out the van, he, he came out, but he, was, he wasn't a big horse, and after a few months, he like he just developed and he just started to grow and he turned into a, a, a pretty decent looking horse. And from the time he worked, that's one thing. Is like in his second work, he basically touted himself very early. And it, um, when we got him into the races, he obviously the turf was easier to debut him on uh, from a fitness standpoint. So we entered him on the turf. It rained off, and we had no problem running him on, on the dirt because he had trained so well on the dirt. Now, he's by McLean's Music out of an arch mare, so he does have pedigree to work with as well. Um, what, what have you kind of noticed as far as maybe how he's lived up to his pedigree, or did you have any expectations with him given that pedigree um, starting, like you said, potentially entering on the turf first time out, or even kind of thinking long-term with him? I mean, like on his dam side, the dam had one, mm-hmm. so he had one sibling that was named Amazing Audrey. She was all turf. So mm-hmm. um, you you were thinking that he may, he may be he made turf because of that. Obviously, McCain's music he gets horses both sides, uh, both sides turf or dirt, and they tend to be precocious. And that that's mm-hmm. what he did. Like he was there, he could have been over two year olds' time to develop. And most of the time, our horses need to run first time out. If they win first time out, that means they're much mm-hmm. better than the competition. Like they're not cranked to win. Like the way I was taught was always try to educate them, get a race into them, and let them develop. So take me to Delta Downs in his third start in the Sean Lafitte Stakes where he did end up dropping his rider. Um, did you have high hopes heading into that race? And what was kind of the disappointment like with him not actually getting to run it? Um, well, going into the race, we thought it was a good spot. We sent two, we sent like five horses um, that day for stake, different stakes. And we thought it was a good spot to, get, to, to win a stake with him or hopefully win a stake with him. He's a homebred by Nick, and it would help Nick's mayor, obviously, having a stakes winner. And he acted up in the gate. It's something that he tends to do. We school him a lot, but on a morning, he's fine. On race day, he just he's different. And he actually reared when the gate opened. So he, he didn't break that sharp. He was he was in fourth. And before he fell, I wasn't really happy. I mean, before the rider fell off, I, I still wasn't happy with the position he was in. And then all of a sudden, I went from <laughs> complaining about that to the rider just fell off. And... I wasn't sure what happened. I thought he jinxed and the rider came off. But after talking to the rider, he said his boot broke. I know he says iron um, broke, but that's that's wrong information in the chart. His his 
boot it ripped wow. the sole of his boot ripped and he lost his balance and he fell off and and give it all like in, in all sense the writer did tell me he said right before he fell off like he, he sucked his teeth at him and he took off and he was going to win the race but to me watching the race I, I never thought he was traveling good but mm. seeing what he's come to do after that he was probably right yeah, then came back to Gulfstream, won the Limehouse and the Grade 3 Swale. You did try stretching him out in the Fountain of Youth. I mean, I know he's a three-year-old. He'd been so good. He has that early speed. And for maybe a horse that has shown he might prefer one turn, he ran a heck of a race there in the Fountain of Youth, too. Yes, yeah, so I thought he ran incredibly in the um, Fountain of Youth. And if he was a horse that the, um, the owners wanted to continue on or mm -hmm. you wanted to push him, he, he he was a horse that I thought could obtain enough derby points. And he obviously got tw um, 20 there, and mm -hmm. he was a horse that could get enough points to the derby. But does he really want to do that? No, I don't think that's his best forte. I think he wants to stick to one turn. And thankfully, we, we've all come up with a plan. And so far, he, he, we went to the base row, and he knocked that out. And hopefully, we could win a grade one for his resume eventually down the line. And so impressive uh, coming back in that Bayshore win on the same day as the Carter. But another horse that you had tried along the Kentucky Derby Trail is Collaborate, who ran on the Florida Derby off a maiden win. And um, tell me a little bit about what you took away from his Florida Derby performance. Not the easiest trip for him that day either. Yeah, I mean, took away on, on the day of disappointing because there's so much expectations that mm -hmm. we expected the way he trained to cut the type of horse we think he is. But in hindsight, you always have to just move forward and look for the positive. Event, um, I thought the trip he got was good enough if he's as good as we think he is. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't, I, I can't, I, I don't blame the trip in that aspect. I just feel like possibly he may want not want to go that far, and we will bring him back in a allowance race and start and starting back from basics. So hopefully, knock out a allowance race at one turn, and then maybe um, try something after that. But he traveled too well in the race to. I know it's. I know he's given up experience, but the way he traveled, to, he went from 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 moving well to nothing, and maybe maybe the distance um, mm -hmm. was the problem that day. But we'll, we'll time will tell, obviously. He was a six hundred thousand dollar yearling purchase by Intimischief. When a horse like that, given that uh, price and pedigree, shows up in the barn, that has to be a pretty exciting feeling. Oh, most definitely. And Bob Edwards from E Five, he's been mm -hmm. a big help to us as far as putting a horse in our barn and it's, it makes other owners take notice also and then thankfully Tree Chimneys teamed up on this horse and they gave us the opportunity with him. We, um, I feel like he, I, I know I, he's a legit horse in my opinion. I know that day didn't work out but there's going to be many better days ahead for him to show the kind of horse he is. And the horses we've just been talking about at the highest level in racing. And um, you come from Barbados, and we've seen you really kind of work up the ladder and being, being based at Gulfstream Park, claiming a lot of horses, which you still do and have a lot of success with. I mean, talk a little bit about um, your training career and how it's developed since coming here to the U.S. and just the, the sheer number of horses that you've increased in, plus the quality as well over the last couple of years. I mean, we came from Barbados with two horses. Basically, we had bought them at the OBS sale, and we um, we decided to to bring them back to America to start off. And and in Barbados, my family always raised my granted my dad trained. He was a good trainer. A lot of my um, program was based on his philosophies, um, and he's still a big help. I mean, we argue every day and constantly. <laughs> he probably puts more pressure on me than any owner in the barn, but. Um, it's been, it was basically chasing a dream and chasing a dream to hopefully one day 
get opportunities to prove that we could be among the um, elite trainers. And at times it was hard. The first, I would say, six, seven years, we did well, did good percentage-wise, but we just didn't have enough horses to constantly win and attract attention. And the last two to three years has come together, and it's kept rolling, and we're thankful for the opportunities the owners give us. I mean, the reality of it is, no matter how good of a trainer you are, you're nothing without the horses. I mean, mm -hmm. the horses are the number one importance of this game, and you get the horses from the owners, so... A training year always depends on your owners and your horses, and thankfully we have a strong core of owners behind us that want us to succeed. That's a big part. Now tell me a little bit about the relationship with your dad. I, I don't think I've ever seen you at the racetrack without him there too, I mean, putting the blinkers on or, or overseeing everything. And obviously he has uh, experience. And, and just tell me what it's like working together on, on a daily basis and, and maybe uh, some of the, the, the differences that you two have or some of the similarities as well. I mean, we both want to do well and mm -hmm. we, we set high standards to, um, as far as taking care of the horses the best as we can. That's why I said sometimes the horse runs second or third, and the owner will be happy, and he'll be he'll be complaining. Oh, the horse should have run better. We missed something. Like, and I, I think that's what makes us a better team is that we, we're he's always pushing me, and I'm always pushing him, and we we're disagreeing a lot. But then we we always come up with a a decision that's best for the horse. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's great being with your dad and spending these times, and because these they're priceless moments basically, and. So, I mean, we, we butt heads every day. I think if, if you're around us, like you with people, like some of my friends that are there, they, they can't believe, like, how, but they know, like, we just argue a lot. We argue a lot. It's always about the horses. Now, we just had a couple of the uh, first two-year-old sales in the books here. I know saw you up at the, the OBS March sale, and you said you got one from the Phasic Tipton Gulfstream sale as well. Um, tell me a little bit, if you will, about some of the horses, the two-year-olds that will be joining your barn and what the appeal of those horses was. I mean, we, we bought one of, of a stallion stakes horse in the OBS sale. It was a mm -hmm. social inclusion. It was a private sale. Um, at, I think we paid 37000 for him. We're always looking to try to get stallion stakes or six because mm -hmm. we're, we're based in Florida, uh, our, our main core base. And the phase of the we bought a gold sapper call again, private right after the sale. I think we gave 35000 So as far as those are a couple of two-year-olds that came in, we got a couple of stallion stakes, um, horse two-year-olds that came in also. But most of the owners are probably going to send in the two-year-olds, I'd say, within the next uh, month or so. Most, I would say most of our two-year-olds come from our owners buying them through their own bloodstock agents, mm -hmm. et cetera. Every, every sale we'll go to and pick up a, one or two here and there, but most of them are sent in. You mentioned uh, Stallion Stakes. I mean, the, the Florida Bread Stallion Series for two-year-olds in particular that takes place over the summer, I'm sure a big incentive. And being based now, making your home in Florida, um, I'm sure that's a big, uh, something big that you want to be part of. But it's my understanding, Safi, that you're going to have a few more horses up in New York. And we've already seen how successful you've been running horses in New York. Tell me a little bit about that decision to expand up to New York racing a bit more. Um, just... The expansion is mainly coming because we have the, the, the quality horses that we think can compete. And mm -hmm. the, the, obviously, New York's a great program. It's a it's where you want to be as a trainer. The, the, best, the best trainers are probably there um, throughout the year. And the, the stakes programs are amazing. And the purses are amazing, basically. So mm -hmm. it's we, last year, we kind of did it. Everything last year was learning because this was this was our year. We've we taken small steps to how we wanted to do things because 
we never our approach our success is being hands-on and we as we've expanded we want to make sure that we have the staff in place which is a crucial part to success having a good mm-hmm. team and so we went to saratoga a little bit everything was done small we went to kentucky downs churchill last year just to know for this year when we expand and this is the first year we're actually going to be base i would say pretty strongly with, with with a with a core and it started off great last week last uh, last week in new york i mean it's always good to get off to a good start because mm-hmm. it takes some pressure off yeah i can imagine especially when you get a grade one win in there as well that was i believe the second grade one win of your of your career with um math wizard in the pennsylvania derby being the first one what are some of the other goals you as a trainer want to accomplish especially as you are expanding your stable I mean, the Kentucky Derby is always going to be on the bucket list. Um, that's my dream to win the Kentucky Derby and hopefully win it when my dad's still alive. And mm-hmm. um, you want to win the Breeders' Cup. So you just want to win. I just want to win. In, for me, I want to win the next race I'm running in. I'm very competitive <laughs> and I don't like to lose. But after 10 minutes after, I'm a little hot after losing. And after that, I move forward. And then you, you look for why the horse got beat or you look for any legit reason because you can make a lot of easy excuses in this game and mm-hmm. if you make easy excuses you're not going to make it um correct things you have to so you have to be very cautious with, with the excuses you make and but i the competitive nature for me is i get just as much fun as winning a 6250 claimer mm-hmm. right now as i win a, a grade one I'm, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I just want to keep winning and there's no there's no feeling like it yeah. nothing compares to it and do you think that that competitiveness has been a, a big part of your success and your stable growing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, as I said, this it comes back to the horse. You, mm-hmm. you need the horse. You need the horses. You need the horses and the owners. And it's I always say this is like it's like a basketball player. If you if you have, you could have a talented basketball player and he doesn't have the horses in in your hand, and I mean, if you don't have the basketball in your hand, you're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. The reality is, that as a trainer, you need to have the horses and you need to have continuous support from great owners that understand that you can't push horses or understand that horses need time and when to back off and when to push on and that's what makes you successful as as a owner you look at any successful trainer and their their ownership group is strong well, Safi, it, it's been so fun getting to pick your brain a little bit today. You have Queen Nakia coming up at, at Aqueduct this weekend as well in the Top Flight Invitational. Looking forward to seeing her and looking forward to seeing your increased presence up in Saratoga th- this summer as well. And thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks, Akira, for having me on. Pleased to welcome in now the one and only Naja Thompson, Executive Director of New York Thoroughbred Breeders. Naja, thanks for joining me today. Looking forward to a fun conversation. Glad to talk to you, Keisha. Just happy to be on. I'm a listener of the show and glad to join you and your audience today. Well, I really appreciate that. And I was looking for, you know, the right time to have you on to talk about the New York Bread program in general, because as we know, I mean, there's just such great incentives um, for being in New York Bread and racing in New York Bread as well. But um, I think the timing actually works out well, as we just recently uh, saw the New York Thoroughbred Breeders uh, Awards and getting a chance to see some of those New York Breads in the spotlight. Tell me a little bit about the the recent awards and, and some of the recipients. Definitely. On Monday night, we were able to hold our annual New York Divisional Awards. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, it had to be virtual, Mm -hmm. but anybody can check out the awards at nytbawards.com. 
uh, Richie Migliori hosted, who we both know and mm -hmm. is a longtime supporter of the New York Reds, and just happy to get everybody together online virtually to celebrate the best of New York, uh, the likes of Tis the Law, Brooklyn Strong, and Simply Ravishing, just to salute the dominant years they had over the past year. Tis the Law keeps his crown as New York Bread Horse of the Year. I think it was so fun being able to follow him during the pandemic and kind of have a horse that everybody was really rooting for so much. I mean, talk a little bit about what a horse like him winning the Belmont Stakes and the Travers being a New York Bread means to the program. Definitely. Just a flagship horse and athlete to raise the bar of the New York Bread program and New York Breads overall. Uh, as you mentioned last year, dealing with the pandemic, which we all had to encounter, he was certainly a, a ray of light here in New York. And for all New Yorkers and across the country in his epic performances in the Travers, the Belmont, and a gutsy finish in the Kentucky Derby, you know, being able to run second, giving all his heart. Mm -hmm. When you look through the horses that won the divisional awards and, and the likes of Simply Ravishing, Lead Guitar, some like it Hop Round, I mean, these are all horses as well that have been successful, not just in New York Bread Company, but winning big races against Open Company, Tis the Law as well. Talk a little bit about that and how maybe the perception of being a New York bred has changed over the years and seeing horses like that that can be successful in Open Grade 1 Company. Certainly, over the past, um, I would say, five to seven years, um, you've seen New York breds compete not only across the United States, but internationally with Mind Your Biscuits in Dubai. And overall, you know, you can see that if you're out to purchase a quality horse, you can find so with a New York bread at the top sales across the country. Fasic Tipton, Keeneland, uh, you know, every every sale they're at, we're, we're there. And just the quality of New York breads overall has proven to be, you know, really fruitful in the outcome and their performances on the track. You've been involved with racing in New York for a long time, working for the New York Racing Association, but just recently taking on the role with New York Thoroughbred Breeders. Tell me a little bit about your role and uh, what you like about being part of promoting New York Breads. Certainly, uh, in my role of executive director, I work to work promote the New York Bread brand and uh, amongst our membership, which is working on the incentives to racing and breeding in New York, protections and speaking to the governor and making sure that racing and breeders get incentives and are incentivized to continue their farms and protect green spaces. So just overall, just looking to promote and, you know, elevate the New York brand overall. And what are some of the goals? You talked a little bit about the incentives and they are really, you know, great for those New York bred breeders um, to be part of. But what are some of the things that you hope to expand upon or to improve as far as making it even more appealing to be New York bred? Yeah, certainly specifically, we have to just keep on bringing in good stallions. Uh, you've seen Mr. Monomoy, King for a Day this year, among the few who have just started to begin their start careers in New York. So I'll try to use my role to influence those in the game to set up stud here in New York and set up shop and also continue the quality mirrors and bring them into the state so we can increase our full crop. And you know, one of the big issues we have is 49% uh, of starters in New York at narrow races are New York bred. So we wanna continue the good quality mm -hmm. and make sure we have full and luscious fields. What have been some of the challenges that you found since taking on this new role? Have there been any things that you've really found that were maybe a little bit tougher than you anticipated? 
Well, yeah, certainly, you know, working <laughs> in a in a pandemic in the current environment we are with uh, with breeders trying to get around to meet everybody face to face has been a little difficult. But fortunately, we have Skype and, uh, you know, Zoom and other methods to try to get to know each other. You know, last year, unfortunately, we didn't have the sales at Saratoga, but this year they will take place and they'll be better than ever. So just dealing with the challenges of how we can plan to safely have those events in a healthy space that protects everybody and we can all get together and have a good time. And yeah, that really is the best part about it, getting together and having a good time. I know <laughs> we all miss that for sure. Um, and getting to be able to be back at the races. Um, but you talked a little bit about the relationships that you have and strive to have with breeders in the state of New York. Tell me a little bit about how important those relationships are and maybe some of the things that you've learned from these breeders along the way. Definitely. You know, it's just a great set of hardworking men and women that are on the breeding front in New York. You have um, from the McMahon family, Joseph McMahon mm -hmm. and his entire family with their operation as well. You have <clears throat> Rockridge Stud, which is in the Hudson Valley Valley and uh, Sequel Stallions. So just overall, you have a wide depth of breeders and men and women. It's nice to see the diversity involved in the breeding world and hope to continue that going forward. As we've seen New York breads being success, successful on the biggest stages, on the world stages, as you mentioned, um, being right here in New York and getting to work at Naira, you see it on display every day. I mean, there seems to be so much pride associated with this breeding program as well of, of foaling in New York, raising in New York, um, everything that goes with it. I mean, that has to be something special to be involved in. Does it carry a little bit more weight for you because of that? Oh, certainly. You know, I wouldn't join the NYTB mm -hmm. if the New York Bread Program didn't have the stellar reputation that it does, which is built on mm -hmm. by our president, Tom Gallo, former executive director, Jeff Knizzo, our board of directors, and everybody in the program from the breeders and on the farms, the veterinarians, and as you know, the trainers mm -hmm. and the jockeys, everybody's involved and pitches in to help elevate New York racing all, all year round such great product um, and, and horses and, and incentives that we talked about um, each and every day. I mean, I know that you are a guy that, that loves being part of the races as well. I mean, any things that you're potentially looking forward to in the coming year that we can keep an eye on as far as New York thoroughbred breeders or, or maybe just uh, horses that you like, New York breeds that you're excited to see, potential stallions, anything you can tease for us a little bit? Definitely, Keisha. You know, uh, <laughs> strong just came off of the, the wood and uh, he'll rebound and we'll see him again in the, in the near future date. So that's one to keep an eye on. As well, we have our uh, showcase day in, is coming up at Belmont and as well this summer at Saratoga, which is the whole card of New York breads. The Saratoga showcase day is the day before the Travers and it's just a great event and, and looking forward to see what Mr. Buff can do as well. You know, he's, yeah. he's the reigning older dirt champion in New York and Overall, just, just to see what the horses here in New York can do and compete in open company and in our state-bred company. You also serve in another role as the vice president of the Turf Publicists of America. I, I keep seeing, every time I log on Twitter, I feel like I see Naja Thompson's <laughs> name somewhere. He's doing something and uh, <laughs> just something, which is great. Congratulations, by the way. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Tell me a little bit about your role as a VP of Turf Publicists of America. Definitely. You know, the TPA is a member organization where if you're a journalist or a fan looking to get involved, we look to promote the sport and 
elevating promoting our sport every year we have our annual big sport of turfdom award which we award to a person an individual in racing who makes it easier for us to promote our game last year's winner tom amos who you know very mm -hmm. well acacia and um just overall as an organization we look to be a resource to those in media side and as well the fans on how we can communicate our game and just stress the messaging of how we can make racing better and all-inclusive yeah, tell me a little bit about that, too, because I think, you know, you do such a great job of promoting the game and, and everything that it is. And you mentioned some of the hurdles that we as an industry still have to tackle as of yet. How do you go about that? And what are some of the things that you'd like to see grow and change in the sport of horse racing? Definitely. You know, it, it's all about expanding our game, getting it to different markets. We have a very big Latin American following, so mm -hmm. we should work to develop that community and as well make the outreach and where our tracks are based. A lot of them are in the big cities. So reach out and as we get to get to an environment where everybody is vaccine safe, you know, <laughs> bringing in school kids and just introducing to the game because I've never not taken anybody to the track who didn't have a good time. Yeah, it's just something so special about it. And I mean, you, uh, you've worked in racing for a long time. I know you spent some time down in Florida as well at the racetracks. I mean, tell me some of the things that brought you to where you are today and maybe some of those memorable moments of having a good time at the track that brought you to these roles that you're serving in now. Oh, definitely. You know, I grew up going to the track with my uncle and uh, that was mostly at Calder and Gulfstream mm -hmm. in Florida, enjoying the championship winter meet, as, as you know, just the great amount of racing. And when I was able to join Naira, you know, some terrific moments, including uh, American Pharaoh's Triple Crown win, uh, Tonalist's Belmont victory, and uh, just a, a lot of great moments. And the best part of our game is the connections you make and how welcoming the racing community is. Uh, whether it's riding Saratoga, you can reach out and take a jockey's hand or give them a high five. You can speak to a trainer, see them in the mornings. So that's just, you know, ingrates you to love the game and everybody that participates in it. Was it always horse racing for you or you, did you think about maybe taking another path? Because I feel like a lot of people have, you know, big plans of doing something else <laughs> and the racing just keeps drawing them back. Myself yeah, included, you, by the way. <laughs> no, of, of course. Uh, no, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough sell on the parents at first when you tell them yeah. you, you want to get into horse racing. But, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, I had an uncle who is a small-time breeder himself and a little successful. So, you know, once I got my college degrees and my paperwork to take those risks, <laughs> I was able to convince everybody in my family that it would be a good opportunity. And I, I encourage anybody else to love the game, to find an internship somewhere, and mm -hmm. also just try to get your foot in the door to experience what life is like at the, working in the racing world. And you've worked in racing in, in many different pieces of the industry, but now being involved in the breeding part of it, um, how do you enjoy that? I know it's your current role, but you know how is it different maybe than some of the other previous um, positions that you've been part of? And how is the breeding industry? It seems it's almost kind of a subset of racing in itself, like it's a world unto itself. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I came into the game and the sport as a fan and, and mostly a better, but now mm -hmm. I'm really getting to see the fundamentals of the game from, you know, getting up the sire lines and, the, the bloodlines uh, of how things work. And of course, the world of auctions. And as your show is focused on in the world of sales and what goes into buying a good racehorse at the mm -hmm. sales. So uh, it's about the, the cultivating of the time, the breeders 
uh, taken from, you know, inception to when these foals are birthed. It's just a new world that I make just to dive right in and learn more every day. Do you have a favorite New York bread over the years, maybe? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but maybe one that stands <laughs> out to you. <laughs> uh, certainly. You know, I, I would have to say Diversify. Uh, yeah. His Whitney win was phenomenal. And we all know Rick Violet, what a great mm -hmm. man he was. And just a leader here in New York for New York Thoroughbred Horsemen and the New York Bread Program. So uh, definitely for me, uh, I'd have to say Diversify. Amazing horse. Yeah, that was a, a wild day with the weather uh, in yeah. Whitney, but just a huge performance from him. And you're right, the connections just make him that much easier to like a horse like that. Um, well, Naja, it's been so fun talking to you. I wish you all the best um, in this new position. Like I said, every time I go on social media, you're up to something, <laughs> which is great. Uh, it was funny. I just a little side story. I texted my fiance, Miguel, for you. Naja's numbers I didn't have it and he goes what, what did Naja do now he's up to something so. <laughs> no Keisha thanks for having me on uh, I wish you congrats as well with uh, your engagement Thank to you. Miguel Thank I'm you. really I've really gotten close with the Clement family yeah. and uh, I, I know they're your family as well so be looking to forward to summers and rosé and victories oh yes absolutely <laughs> celebrating all of that Naja thanks so much and uh wishing you all the best with everything coming up and we'll be looking forward to uh all of the New York breads in the spotlight still to come thank you Acacia appreciate the time and that wraps up another episode of In the Ring with Acacia Courtney, episode number lucky 13. Uh, as we wrap it up here, um, again, some more great stuff to come in the next few weeks as we lead into the next two-year-old sale on the calendar and, of course, on that road to the first Saturday in May with the Kentucky Derby coming up just a few weeks down the road. It'll be here before we know it. A big thank you to my guests, Safi Joseph and Naja Thompson. Really enjoyed speaking with both of them today. As always, please feel free to share this podcast with anybody that you think may find it interesting. If you ever have any suggestions or things that you want to hear about, please send them my way. I've got a list of some things that people have sent in, and that'll be coming up in the next few weeks as well. want to give you a reminder, uh, again, as always, from our friends at Lone Star Park nominations are open for Lone Star Park's Lone Star Million Day card, Memorial Day, May 31st. Five stakes totaling $1.1 million. The grade three Sexton Mile purse increases from three hundred dollars to 400000 Lone Star Million Day and the Ouija Board Distaff return after a 10-year hiatus. There's also three new stakes, the Texas Derby, Chamberlain Bridge, and the Memorial Day Sprint. They're all free to nominate. Nominations close Saturday, May 22nd. So check that out over with our friends at Lone Star Park. And again, please share this podcast. And we'll see you next week on In the Ring with Acacia Courtney.